Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. This past spring, I went to Joshua Tree National Park for the first time. If you've never been there, it is a truly magical place. The landscape looks kind of like it was invented by Dr. Seuss, and the rock climbing there is phenomenal. I will probably always remember that trip. We drove out to California in a friend's minivan. There was no hookup for smartphones, so we listened to CDs the whole way, and we navigated with an atlas. We spent a night in Utah on the way out, and we woke up to wild donkeys outside our tents. When we finally got to Joshua Tree, I was overwhelmed by the heat of the desert. It was in the 90s each day, and there's no shade. But I also fell in love with the place. Each day, we got up before dawn, we drank coffee as the stars were starting to fade, and we went climbing at sunrise. Once it got too hot, we'd go back to our campsite and pour ice water over each other's heads. The day before we went home, I bought a guidebook at the local climbing shop. I knew I wanted to go back to Joshua Tree someday. There was something about the place that drew me in made me feel like I belonged. I think a lot of us have memories like that. Memories of national parks that work their way into our hearts and stay there. And when that happens, we often have a desire to give back to those special places. If that's true for you, I want to let you know about an organization called Parks Project. They're one of our sponsors for this episode and they're on a mission to leave our public lands better than we found them. Parks Project sells all sorts of apparel and accessories that benefit public lands in the U.S. and Canada. Each product you buy from them helps provide vital funding for a national park or other piece of public land. Go to parksproject.us and use the coupon code OUTTHERE for 15% off your purchase. That's parksproject.us. Promo code out there. I've always been an approval junkie. I want people to like me, and I want to earn their respect. But one of the things I struggle with, both as a journalist and as an entrepreneur, is that being respected is not necessarily the same as being liked. Our guest today is someone who learned that distinction the hard way. Her name is Linda Strader, and she's one of the first women to become a wildland firefighter for the U.S. Forest Service. She wrote a book about her experience called Summers of Fire, and she joins us today to talk about it. Linda's firefighting career started in a roundabout way. Growing up, she didn't have any particular interest in fire. But she needed work, and the Forest Service had a job opening. It was a desk job, doing timekeeping for one of the fire crews outside Tucson, Arizona. On the day I interviewed, um, he hired me. And I found myself working up on Mount Lemmon uh, for two summers. Um, and it was it was just I, I couldn't imagine how anybody wouldn't want a job where you're working in a ranger station. I mean, it was like it was just such a thrill for me. 
And I also got to know the fire crews really well and got to realize, wow, they have a really exciting job, and my job is really boring. (laughs) (laughs) And and I hated paperwork. I mean, it didn't take me long to figure out I hated paperwork, and I hated working in an office. So after um, 1975, um, I decided, you know what? I don't want to work indoors anymore. I want to work for the Forest Service, and I want to work outside, and I would love to work on a fire crew. So... Put in an application. By God, I got the job. I ended up, though, not working up there. I ended up getting the job in southern Arizona, further south in the Santa Rita Mountains. And so so that's how I ended up on a fire crew. It was kind of like it just happened. And it was one of those things where it didn't take me long to figure out I found the job. I, mean, mm. I, I absolutely loved my work. So how did you feel about entering into a field that was totally male dominated? Well, you see, I didn't know that. <laughs> so I am 20 years old, and I'm very naive. So I, I, I walk, I get, it, I get to the job, and I am the only woman on a crew of 10. And I really didn't think about that I was the only woman, other than the fact that I did notice that I had to work harder, or I felt like I had to work harder to prove that I could do the job at all. Um, and so there were, t- and there were times, you know, whenever something challenging came up, you know, yeah, I'd get those little, little, you know, nuggets of doubt. Oh my gosh, can I do this? And I think, oh yeah, heck you can, you know? Um, the first time I flew a helicopter in a helicopter, I was absolutely terrified of heights. And yet I got on that helicopter and it took me a while to get used to it. And then I realized, ooh, this is kind of nice. <laughs> So I think I was just open for the adventure and but I never really I never really thought about what it was like being the only one um I kind of liked it. I mean, it, you know, another girl comes along later in the summer and she's there for about 6 weeks and all of a sudden I have competition, <laughs> you know, and I'm like hmm. <laughs> but then we ended up becoming friends. Um but at first, I was like, well, I don't know if I want another woman here. I like being the only one. You know? I got a lot of attention. I expected, um, you know, in reading your book, when I, when I started reading your book, I expected that it would be right away a lot of, um, you know, that you would face a lot of for lack of a better word, discrimination as a woman mm-hmm. um, on on a fire mm-hmm. crew. And what really struck me initially was that when you first when you first got there, people actually seemed to really like you. Yeah, for the most part, everybody seemed to, we seemed to get along just fine. And yeah, I thought, wow, this is great. How did the guys treat you initially? Um, most of them just, they were just falling all over me at first. Um, and I was just, um, I, I didn't know what to do with all of that attention. And, um, it was very flattering and everything, but I also felt like, um, I still needed to prove that, well, okay, you know, I'm a girl on a fire crew and, and you can flirt with me, but I'm still going to work hard and still get the job done. Um, I'm not going to expect you to, to, you know, do my work for me. And I think some of them thought they had to. Really? That they they had to, like, take care of you because you couldn't do it? That's what they thought? Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I got the and, and and I would balk the minute someone I, I if someone tried to hold the door open f for me it, I'd just glare at them and say well I'm perfectly capable of, of holding the door so <laughs> you know um. <laughs> so what was what was life like um, on this on this crew I mean you guys all lived together in little cabins mm -hmm. at this at this ranger station um so what was sort of like a typical week like for you well we were always busy so you know um it, it depend on what my supervisor had lined up for the week but he had he would you know we'd have all these different chores that we would have to do I and mean, we took care of all of the recreational facilities we cleaned outhouses we cleaned picnic tables we raked up pop top lids we worked trails and, and cleaned them up and you know improved them so they were you know really we were told that our the trails in our area were some of the best trails that anyone had ever seen and, you know, people hikers and stuff would tell us that which just you know felt so good you know yeah we really take pride in our work a lot of station maintenance, vehicle maintenance. Um, we always had something to do. Um, we didn't sit around and wait for fires. And mm. and that's not the case anymore. I mean, the, it's really different now. And then when a call would come in for a fire, you would drop whatever you were doing yep. and, and go. Whatever doing. Yeah, and, and that would be, you know, we're all, we were always waiting for a fire call. I mean, that certainly made our life more exciting. And um and it, yeah, I mean, there would be days when we may have been working trail all day. You know, we hiked, you know, five or six miles or more to work trail and work trail. And then we get a fire call and, and now we're working, you know, a 24-hour shift or, or more um, on the fire. So, you know, you, you just never knew. Um, and, and it's amazing. I look back at that and I think, Wow, where'd that energy come from, anyway? You know, but you know, you do have a lot more energy in your twenties, and and once you <laughs> once the adrenaline kicks in, I mean, yeah, you've you've got boundless energy. What was it that you loved about the job? It, um, it gave me a sense of purpose. It made me feel like what I was doing was really important. Um, and, and the fact that it was such hard work and that it was not a common job for a woman to do. And I knew that. And I knew that um, it, it tested me to the point of, you know, it, it showed me just how much you can do if you put your mind to it. You know, the fact that I even did what I did, I had a lot of pride in the fact that I actually did that. You know, I actually, you know, put, a, I actually worked on a fire line for, you know, 48 hours with, you know, like two hours of sleep. And it's, it's one of those things where you push your body to the very brink and realize I have the ability to do that. And there's a lot of pride in that, you know, of, you know what, if I, if I really want to do something, I can do it. Okay, so tell me about what happened when you went to. So you were you were um, you were asked to go to this workshop for women, mm -hmm. um, and this is sort of this major turning point in 
in your understanding of what the rest of the crew thought of you. Um, so tell me about this workshop. Well, so in 1975, the Forest Service finally conceded um, they were being pressured to hire minorities because they just did not want to have women uh, on the fire crews, and they were getting a lot of pressure. So they had just started hiring women in 75 and then hired more in 76, which was when I started. And and I, I didn't realize that there was a problem until yeah I was introduced. You're going to this workshop, and the workshop was with the Federal Women's Program, which had just formed that summer to help women deal with the challenges of being a woman in a man's world. Um, and I had no idea th that this was a problem. I, I walked into that thinking, oh, there's a problem? Because <laughs> I, I hadn't really seen one yet. You know what I mean? Like you're saying, yeah, it, it seemed like things were pretty okay except for a couple people. For the you know the rest because right, your crew. crew seemed to love you. <laughs> yeah, I just thought you know so what's the problem here? I don't understand. So it, it was a huge surprise to get to this meeting, and I think there was like thirty seven women there from all over the Coronado National Forest, and there were only two or three of us that were firefighters, and I was thinking, really? You know, everybody else was from the office, and I thought that was kind of a surprise. And so they gave us this assignment. They said, oh, after we went through all of this assertive training and they talked about um, the Equal Employment Opportunity Act and our rights to, you know, have a hold a job with the Forest Service um, and not be discriminated against and what you do if you are. And, and uh, so at the end of the workshop, the leader said, well, you know what, I want you all, to, I'm going to give you all an assignment. I want you to go back to your workplace and interview all of the men on your crew about what they think of women on fire crews. And I'm thinking, oh, this will be easy. Yeah, everybody loves me, right? <laughs> so, so I'm going to come back with this glowing report of how they all support me and think I belong there and that I'm doing a great job and this is going to be really fun. But that's not what happened at all. <laughs> so then how did it actually go down when you went to do these interviews? Well, so I, I started out with my supervisor the, of Florida, at Florida, and he, he supported me. You know, he always had. So, you know, he said I was doing it. He said I was a good hand. And, boy, that's what I wanted to be, a good hand, just like every, you know, all the other guys. And um, then one by one I started hearing things like, well, you know, uh, I could die on the fire line because you can't carry me out. And this is coming from somebody who weighs over 200 pounds. You know, and I'm like, you know, give me a break. Nobody, no one person on the crew could carry you. You know, um, yeah, so, so he threw that at me and told me, you know, that I didn't belong there and women are too weak. And, and then I had one guy say to me that I made more work for everybody else, so I should quit and go home. And that just, oh my gosh, that was just devastating to her. And then, you know, I was told that women belong barefoot pregnant in the kitchen. I was told that um, I was helpless and that I could possibly hold my own. What was the what was the most hurtful piece of feedback that you got uh, 
through these interviews? I mean, what was the what was the most hurtful thing that that you heard? I I think the one that said that you make more work for everyone and you should just go home. Um, because that wasn't true. Nobody, nobody did my work for me. Nobody helped me carry anything. Nobody, you know, I, I just. It was so, it was just so not true. And, and he just, you know, he sneered at me and gave me this really disgusting look of like, oh, just go home, you know, go raise babies or something. Oh, it was awful. It was awful. And these were people that had seemed to be your friends. Exactly. I mean, th- that was probably, I, I you know, I, I, when I walked out of the room that day, I think I think I changed. I think... From that moment forward in the rest of my career, I was very wary about people I worked with from then on. I wasn't sure well, I, I was could just believe gonna, them. Yeah, I was just going to ask how, you know, knowing all this, like these people who you had thought were your friends and and your, you know, your felt like equals, um, all of a sudden said, oh, no, we don't think she belongs here. Mm-hmm. You know, how did that change how you went about your job moving forward? Well, I'll tell you, I wasn't as trusting anymore. Um, I, I started questioning. Every time someone said something nice to me, I'd be thinking, uh, I don't know, do you mean that or not? You know, um, can I trust you? Do you have my bag or don't you? And I think I became a little more independent and less, I definitely became less sociable. In fact, when I came back the next year to work, I remember one of the guys telling me that, you've changed. And I was like, well, yeah, I have. I had to, Mm. you know, um, I wasn't going to be, I I felt so stupid. I felt, I thought, what was wrong with you to believe that, you know, these people actually liked you when they didn't. And and, and I think it wasn't really a matter that they didn't like me. They just didn't think I should be there. I think they, they still liked me as a person, but they didn't want me to work with them. And well, that, and that was something that was something that really stood out to me because, you know, it, it occurs to me that there's a difference between liking someone and respecting someone. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like what you went through there really highlighted that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I it was it was a life lesson, you know, for me that um, I wanted their respect and and some and I got it from some of them and you know and throughout my career there I did have some support and yet you know every well it wasn't until my third summer that I was met with a whole different kind of obstacle and then that was when a hiring official told me to my face I am not going to hire you because you're a woman we don't hire women and it was illegal for him to say that to me and yet he felt very comfortable saying it to me because he knew it was only two of us in the room. So what was I going to do? Yeah. And I did try to do something about it, and that that backfired. It is really interesting, though, just, you know, this, again, this idea of, of, you know, liking someone versus respecting someone, because I think a lot of times um, we conflate, especially women, conflate those two things. And we assume that if someone likes us, you know, that liking someone and respecting someone are the, are the same thing. And it, 
you know, it just seems like, okay, well, I guess that's not actually the case, you know. Well, exactly. That was, yeah, what a, what a lesson to learn. And I learned it the hard way. You know, I was just blindsided. I, I, Did that affect how much you liked your job? You know, I thought about quitting. I really did. I, for for a brief, you know, when I got home that night after that happened, I laid in bed and thought about it and thought, no, 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 I really love what I do. I am not going to let anyone make me quit. I was bound to determine. I thought, you know what? I don't care what they think. I know I can do this, and I love what I do. And um, I will never let anything like that happen again. It was one of those things where I will never be so naive and so stupid to get blindsided like that. Um, it, it shook my world. It shook my self-esteem and everything. I, and it took me a while to, because even when my supervisor comes to tell me, you know, you know that he, he had faith in me and, and that he believed I could do it, and he, it, I was still so shook, you know. It's like, yeah, um, it's, one of those lessons that you have to learn the hard way sometimes, I guess. I'm, it's interesting because it, it almost feels like you're blaming yourself for how they acted to you. Like, you're yeah. like, well, how could I have been so stupid not to see it, but... Mm-hmm. It wasn't you being, you know, yeah. doing things wrong. I know. Well, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, but, you know, um, at the time, yeah, I did blame myself. I, was, I, th I thought, how could I have been so stupid? Why didn't I notice this? How did I miss this? So this is some pretty heavy stuff we're talking about. And we're going to dive deeper into it in a moment. But I want to pause quickly and tell you about something nice. Something you can feel good about. That something is Kusa Tea. Kusa is one of our sponsors for this episode. They make premium instant tea. In other words, instant tea that actually tastes good. It's actually quite simple what we do. That's Robin Shelley. She's in charge of marketing for Kusa. She says instant beverages are usually made by brewing the tea or coffee and then heating it up to a really high temperature so the water evaporates. But that often leaves a burnt taste. Kusa does things differently. We brew the tea and we put it in this big vat and um, we fill it up about halfway and the air above is 0% humidity. And as you know, from being in a drier climate, things evaporate really quickly um, when you have very low humidity. So the water just kind of evaporates. They vent it out. They put more 0% humidity water, uh, air in. And they just do this over about 14 hours. And by the time it's all done, the only thing that's left is non-liquid tea crystals. This process leaves you with instant tea that actually tastes good. For 25% off your order, go to kusatea.com and enter the promo code OUTTHERE at checkout. You can also get a free sample pack with that code. Again, that's C-U-S-A-T-E-A.com, promo code OUTTHERE. And now, back to our conversation with Linda Strader. How have things changed 
since then? Because, I mean, you you got into firefighting in the 70s, um, but it's still a male-dominated field. Very much so. So, so how what's, what's changed? Um, not too much, actually. Um, and that was, that was a surprise. When I was working on my book, I was, you know, in between writing, I, would, I was contacting various organiza- women's organizations. Um, I was chatting with women that, was t- that are working for the Forest Service now. And I had some women contact me through my blog that I was um, work When I was working on my book, I was running a blog, and I still am. And I would post various articles on the women in the Forest Service and things. And so I'd get these responses, and they'd be like, oh, my gosh, it must have been terrible for you in the 1970s. And, and I said, well, you know, it was, it was tough. And then they start telling me what's going on with them. And I am just, I'm just stunned as to what I'm hearing. I'm hearing them telling me things like, well, I was, I was sexually assaulted on a fire once. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. I, that, as far as I knew, didn't happen in the 70s. We were harassed. We were given, women were given a really hard time, and we were discriminated against. But nobody, I don't, I was never assaulted, and I didn't know any other woman that was. So it's actually worse. Um, and there's the Forest Service now is really under fire for um, not addressing the perpetrators of these assaults. And so they're having a really tough time right now. So there isn't a whole lot of women work in, working in fire-related uh, jobs. There are women, more women in upper management. The, the chief of the Forest Service right now is a woman. But for the for the women that are on the line, that are digging trenches and and building fire lines, and they're the ones that are still being harassed. And and I just don't I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how to stop this. I think a lot of it I kept thinking that when the old school men retired that and the young men came in and took their place with a more progressive and open minded attitude that this would change. But it's not changing. Why do you think that is? Because I mean in so many other fields we've made a lot of progress. You know, I and and I've actually um been reading a lot of articles on this, and there's a lot of speculation. And of course, you know, the Forest Service was all male for almost all of its hundred years plus of um, being an organization, and uh, they. So some of the resentment is still there, believe it or not. Um, I think there also is. Um, it's the good old boy thing of you know um, we don't. We don't want to have to tippy-toe around having a woman on the crew. We want to be able to just be us guys and not have to deal with not swearing in front of her like anybody really curl-tailed that. I mean, it's just... Because women can't swear. Right, exactly. (laughs) You know, so, you know, so that might be part of it. And then there is, there is jealousy. Some, some men think that because the Forest Service is still being forced, forced um, to, to hire women, that women get privileges that the men don't get. In other words, they're not qualified for the job, so they get it just because they're female. I was actually told by one of the guys uh, early on that I was just fulfilling the woman quota. That was the only reason I was there. Mm. What advice do you have 
for women who are trying to get into this field or or are trying to win respect really in in any male dominated field like this well the most important thing is to believe in yourself and to not let anybody tell you what you can and cannot do and and it's hard when you are insulted and you're told that you're weak or you're told that you're inferior in some way and 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 those are the people that you have to just ignore because you know like i said there are there are people out there that will there are men out there that will support you and they're the ones that you need on your side um what i'm hoping will change and and actually i read an article um an interview with um anita hill and she talked about the bystander syndrome she said that no amount of training or education, you know, if you tell a bunch of guys, we're going to send you to sensitivity training so that you will understand and not be so hard on women, that's a, that's a joke. Nobody wants to be told, you need to stop doing that. Here's, I'm going to slap your hands, stop that. What she thinks needs to happen is their peers need to tell them, stop that. And that if other men tell, the men that are on the woman's side and believe that she can handle the work and she belongs there just as much as anyone, if they see her being harassed by one of their male coworkers, if they speak up, that would mean more than anything she could ever say or any organization could ever teach them how to behave differently. She said, that's what it's going to take. And I kind of believe that. I kind of feel like that's a really good point. What do you hope readers will take away from your book? Don't give up. You know, and even when everything fell apart in my world, um, I still had to tap into this resiliency, actually, that I didn't know I had. Although, my, But people tell me, oh, yes, you did. And I think... Well, okay, but I guess I didn't know it. But I I found out that I had it, and I rebuilt my life twice. So um, you have more than you think you have. And you just, you know, if you want to do something, then do what you love, and don't let anybody tell you that you can't. And And I certainly would not, if this is a field that interests you, then don't let any of the stories that you hear scare you away. I, I think it's just a matter of, because we need more women in there. And the more there are women in that field, the more comfortable it's going to get for the rest of us that are still in that field. And so, you know, it's not for everybody. It's tough work. But the satisfaction and the gratification that you get from a job well done doing something like that, I mean, whether you're a paramedic or a firefighter, wildland firefighter, you know, whatever, um, you know, it's, it's a very important line of work. It's dangerous work, but there's just nothing I can think of that filled my soul more than that job. Mm, I love that. Well, Linda, thank you so much for talking with me. Well, thank you, Willow. I'm really um, pleased that we had a chance to talk about this, and I appreciate you um, reading my book and having an interest in this topic. Um, it's, it's been really enjoyable. 
That was Linda Strader. Her book is called Summers of Fire, and we have a link to it on our website, outtherepodcast.com. After talking with Linda, I reached out to the U.S. Forest Service. I wanted to get their perspective on how things are changing for women in firefighting roles. Unfortunately, they did not respond to repeated interview requests. Before you go, two quick reminders. One is that our giveaway ends tomorrow. We're giving away gift certificates for Gut Hook Trail Guides, insulated food and beverage containers from ThinkSport, natural deodorants from Humble Brands, personal hygiene packs from Potty Packs, and more. To enter the giveaway, just find us on Instagram at OutTherePodcast. You'll see a post about the giveaway with very easy instructions for how to get in on the fun. Again, the giveaway ends tomorrow, so if you've been putting it off, procrastinate no longer. The second reminder is that support for this episode comes from Parks Project. Parks Project is dedicated to leaving public lands better than you found them. They organize volunteer events, and they sell apparel and accessories that benefit national parks and other public lands. So far, Parks Project has contributed over half a million dollars to important projects on public lands, and they've logged more than 3,000 volunteer hours. You, too, can help take care of our national treasures at parksproject.us. For 15% off your order, just enter the coupon code OUTTHERE at checkout. Again, that's parksproject.us, coupon code OUTTHERE. A big thank you to Mike Lutters and Deb and Vince Garcia for their financial contributions to Out There. To make a gift of your own in any amount, just head over to outtherepodcast.com and click support. That's it for this episode. Our strategic advisor is Alex Egerking. Our advertising manager is Jessica Taylor. Laura Johnston heads up our ambassador program. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. Also, special thanks to Max Wasserman for production assistance with this episode. We'll see you in two weeks, and in the meantime, have a beautiful day, be bold, go outside, and find your dreams. (laughs) ¶¶